0: That just joined Patreon to support you guys. So that's something that helps you guys out, keep doing what you're doing, then cool.
1: You know? Yeah, I appreciate it. With the Patreon membership, you get this one on one call. Plus, we're doing two group calls a month now with past guests. Plus, there's an exclusive Patreon feed where you get special episodes if you're a Patreon member.
0: Oh man, nice. I'll to snap to too. Awesome. I'm famous for saying it like this. There's four hundred and sixty periods. Okay? There's 235 workdays and 460 periods. You got about four and a half, five hours a period, which is a half day. You better make use of your time. And we're gonna measure it all the time. Money, 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 money. Money. If you don't really understand operationally what you're trying to get to, you will not drive revenue. One thing about wanting to do it all yourself, I wouldn't recommend it. You have to eliminate the negative self-talk. You gotta believe. I'm John Sharp with the founder, CEO currently of StaffSource. We also have another company called DataCore, which, uh, but StaffSource is a, as I said, it's a staffing and recruiting firm currently in four markets. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, Birmingham, Alabama, as well as Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, continuing to expand rapidly. Six-time Inc. 5,000 winner. I'm a former, for me personally, I founder and still wholly own this company, as well as I uh, was listed 2014. Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the Knoxville area and have also been listed on the Tennessee Hot 100. Several accolades and merits for our business. I don't tend to, I mean, hey, those are great things. I love the art of business as much as anything that you can have the plaques or I can take the plaques. They have been effective from a public relations perspective. PR perspective, I've enjoyed the success and and certainly some of the trophies that have come along with it. But I, I enjoy the art of the business. It's more impressive to me that we've been able to execute and continue to build a system over and over and over today. You know, we have a company that's in four different markets, still growing very rapidly, just under at about 25 employees and growing. Got a couple of other ventures as well as an entrepreneur. I believe in multiple streams of income. And so we've got another launch company that we're doing with Datacore, which is a company that's doing data, ultimately artificial intelligence, machine learning concepts into the hiring space. So how to use artificial intelligence, machine learning to hire more effectively whether it be capturing better, more backgrounds or just better executing hiring decisions and using data, a data-driven model to do that. And so obviously we're employing that in the staffing company as well as taking it out and commercializing it in its own solution. And then lastly, I have a commercial real estate company too. So we've been able to accumulate some commercial real estate and do some leasebacks on some of the offices. our company to staff source and that's been that's been a heck of an investment vehicle uh, for me as well so if I make bad decisions in one place hopefully I'm making better ones in the other and it kind of offsets but I've been doing it for you know really almost 18 19 years now been in the staffing space for 16 15 16 years not all that in my own company uh, but uh, I grew from scratch and
1: and your big balls hand we were discussing
0: I am a big Vols fan. Yeah, of course, man. I am mean, uh, I actually started out and played baseball at Georgia State University. And I, I tell you, man, for me, you know, getting your ass kicked daily on a baseball field and learning how to, I would love to say 300, but that's not the truth.
1: It <laughs> you could say that. We won't look at the stats.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, please. And so, anyway, it's a very humbling experience to hit one out of four and, and to call that success. But I will tell you, in our space that we're in, it taught me how to fail. It absolutely, that college baseball experience taught me how to fail and to get back up and keep going. And I'm probably too used to failing today in some
1: ways, but I started out in
0: Georgia State, finished at uh, UT, got an undergrad out of UT. So yeah, of course I'm a Vols fan, go Vols.
1: Out of being a Vols fan and graduating there, did you start your company right away or can you tell us your experience about leading up to starting your company? You know, if somebody
0: asked me what my long-term vision was when I was, I graduated from college when I was 21. And I said, well, Friday, I'm going out for drinks. (laughs) And that was it. I don't. I will tell you I had signals and symptoms of an entrepreneur uh, very early on. But no, I, when I got out of, I graduated from UT degree in finance and I, and I had a lot of accounting in my background. So I went to work for a controller of a healthcare services company and did that for about 18 months before that company decided to sell. And fortunately, I was kind of the top in the management team of that organization. It was a smaller entity. They hit a home run on the sale. They sold at that time that particular part of the healthcare was going through significant consolidation, ambulance services, transportation, and companies sold. Owners made really good money at that point. So I worked for them for about 18 months, and I was getting a couple of different job offers from AMR, American Medical Response. And I got an opportunity and an offer to go into sales with another organization. So a big fortune 500 staffing company. And you know, at the time I was just like, okay, you know, I've got one cool opportunity here and this one is being offered to me. And I'm like, what do I want to do? And so I went to the library at UT Knoxville, studied the staffing and recruiting industry and the human resources industry. And I'm like, man, at the time it was a $60 billion industry, right? And this is 1996, seven, so I've been 20 years. And I'm like, I like this. There's going to be a lot of money made here and this is going to be a growing issue over the course of my lifetime. So I guess I lied about looking to Friday. I'm a long term thinker. The least I can do is this is a good place to be and good place to be playing no matter what I decide to do in it. And at that time, it wasn't start my own company. It was just go into this industry. I joined this company in August of 98. Started off and became quickly successful. Just being a member of the team got two or three promotions over the course of eighteen month to two year period, and that's when I decided to go out. So I was probably at the time. was say twenty six two thousand around that two thousand time frame. Two thousand, yeah, I think it was around two thousand.
1: You're preparing for Y2K.
0: I was preparing for Y2K help move making money. Like, man, I mean, we were just making. I mean, we were making money hand over fist. 98 and 99 were just fantastic economies right before Y2K, before we got into 2001. But that's what happened. It was kind of, I will tell you, man, even in working for a Fortune 500 company, right? I remember about five months into that job, I was having a lot of success, and probably too egotistical at the time, really. But I kept explaining to my boss how we needed to do things. And she kept telling me, we don't do it that way. That's not the way we do it. I'm sure we need to be doing it this way. I'm one of 10,000 people and I, I need to be writing the rule book that battle and just going back and forth back and forth and i'm like i know how to do this i feel like i can take this to the market myself offer a better service point to prospective clients to the marketplace that's what i did
1: can you tell us a little bit more i mean did you have any money saved up did you have a business partner next day you open an office how did it work out dude i took a pair of credit
0: cards and rubbed them together and created enough to eat beans yeah
1: dave ramsey would be very proud of you i guess he would be very proud. <laughs> I mean, like, he'd be happy about the beans, but not about the credit cards.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he, no, no, he's definitely, he, yeah, he the one. I didn't have a choice. No, I had no money. In fact, I think at the time I had just a touch of debt, and I believed in investing in myself. But no, I had no money. I did literally had two credit cards. I probably had rolled those up to ten thousand dollars. Had a nice office space, and at that point, not you know, not a ton of overhead, right? So I mean, I was going negative in the hole if I didn't create sales every month. But I didn't have a ton of overhead, so I was I was running lean and mean. And I am known for being able to open a cold can of beans and eat them. And I can keep on working. You know, I can do it while I'm talking. If you want to, I've done it plenty of times. But yeah, so live cheap and just started. Fairly unsophisticated and uneducated in the sense of what I was doing, really, other than understanding a model about how to execute and did that.
1: Well, you're just at your apartment, you're calling the people that you're calling before, but saying, Hey, I'm Steph Source LLC." or because some of the listeners who are listening, I'm trying to think if they were in the exact same situation, you know, obviously they're super smart, they're twenty-six and they know better than their boss. If they're going to try to do their own company that's maybe potentially the same or similar to what they were doing before, I'm just trying to get an idea of how you were able to accomplish that. Just not smart.
0: <laughs> no, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. I wasn't smart enough to know the potential pitfalls. I didn't look at, am I going all the ways that I could fail? I think some of it was just embedded in, in my DNA. At that point, I was sure I could be successful. I knew in my mind the better way to do it. I also knew that I'm looking at this industry and going, hey, I don't have to have all of it. I just have to have a part of it. It's expanding. I can expand it client to client to client. But I was a risk taker. And I will say this, and I think something that was really helpful for me and has separated me from my career is I'm an accountant by trade. Now, you meet me, I don't look like an accountant, I don't talk like an accountant, right? But I understand debits and credits, I understand economic models, and that was critically important for me to understand that because I essentially knew that hey, at that time, this is a 10% economic model. So if I can generate 10 million dollars in revenue, I can generate a million dollars in EBITDA. Just knowing that was helpful. I think that kind of mitigated some of the and talk me into the risk because I knew what the potential rewards were. But I'm a believer in this, man. Sometimes I believe in vision. I believe in planning. But I don't know every turn along the road. You don't know every turn along the road. The great ones that I've studied from, and even Dan Caulfield, my coach to me and a mentor to me is like, hell, don't try to know it all. Sometimes you got to get on the field and start playing and figure out what the adjustment looks like. So if you try to figure it all out, I believe in the front. You'll find out more reasons not to do it than to do it. You know, in some ways, I mean, I was just crazy enough and dumb enough to to pull the trigger and did, and then took those two credit cards and survived. I think even in the early days, man, you get on an island. I think especially when you work alone like that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you just got to power through and push through and you just got to want it. It's sheer drive, determination, a belief that you're going to win. I am optimistic by nature, man. I mean, I walk around any street corner and I believe on the next side of it, that thing's going to have a pot of gold no matter what. And I've never lost. I've really never lost that. I believed it when I was 26. I believe it today when I'm 43.
1: You're a Vols fan, so you got to believe it that way, right?
0: <laughs> Dude, we've been hanging on since '98. <laughs>
1: that's absolutely right.
0: Well, we're, we're die. If you're still a Vols fan this one, you're you're die hard.
1: I mean,
0: hard carry. It's like
1: yeah. Me, I'm a Jaguar fan, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, you know how it works. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think the optimism's key. You know, you got to be optimistic. It's hope. Now, I certainly have learned that. Hope is not a strategy. You can't live on that. And the more strategic and the better, more effective you are at it. And it takes those kinds of skills to scale and grow. But early on, it's just got to be sheer will and risk, especially the way I've done it, which is I grew it from the ground. I took no money. I did it with all my own capital which was none at the time. Doing it that way is certainly, certainly harder. And I didn't, I started it. I, I full blown had an office, launched it, did the whole deal.
1: Was that 2004? Was this exactly Staff Source, or was it some other company in between? If I could pay somebody
0: to help me brand something, I'd be smart guy with it. The one thing about wanting to do it all yourself, I wouldn't recommend it. I've probably gotten great, great advice and never taken it. If anybody that knows me listens to this, they're probably shaking their head, hell yeah. But I probably got a lot of great advice over the years and didn't take it. I started the company as accounting resource group and then shortened it to ARG and then changed it again. Then I had a couple of different brands. We took one brand. To the, so we worked as ARG for probably six, seven years. And then that brand, probably longer than that, actually 10 years. And then we started another brand called Southeastern Tech Consultants. And I've recently consolidated all those brands down to staff Source. I bought staffsource.com actually bought that domain in 2009. At this time, I wasn't broke, but I'd tell you I was broke. But I remember paying about $13,000. Uh, They're asking $25,000 for the brand and sales were declining. It was like the middle of you 09. Know, of course, the middle of 09 was like everybody was running for the hills. I was making an investment and I bought that in 09 and then ultimately consolidated all the brands into that brand. And now we're a singly branded staff
1: I approve of the name. I mean, it's so simple. It makes so much sense now, I guess. But you didn't originate that name you're saying back in 04? No, I did not originate it back in 04.
0: No, it was simple. And that's what, as I've grown, we've continued to grow. It's just been a quest for simplicity because the simpler it is, the easier it is to grow, the easier it is to create alignment. And so the name to me reflects that. I always see these entrepreneurs or founders that put their names in it. For some reason, that just wasn't me. I just worked backwards from what the market wants. And to me, the market would want something that's very simple and said, hey, this is what we do. And I will say this, it was important to me to own the .com domain. Felt like, that was a smart investment. So we wanted to be the company that was at StaffSource.com and to have that domain. And it was available. I was looking at a couple of different brands or names, and that one was available. At that time, 13 grand even, right? A swap of an Amex, which I did.
1: It was a good decision. So what'd you think about that group call? That was good. It's cool because you get to see what other people are doing. They're kind of in the same stage as me. Hopefully that was helpful. Definitely, yeah. Actually a lot of stuff. The Upwork thing was very interesting. Can you tell us about getting your first client? What that was like? How much money you're able to make from generating that first sale? I think I was drinking buddies with them. Mm-hmm. That helps. Yeah, it
0: does help, doesn't it? You know, I was fortunate, man. I, even though I'm an accountant, you know, by trade. I'm not saying accountants certainly don't understand client relationships and understand that. I understood that business was the sum total of its relationships, and especially, I think, at all levels today, whether it's relationships with my vendors, our partners, our employees, my colleagues, or our valued clients. It came down to relationships. I've had some relationships. Well, actually, I, very early on, it was just about running the model. When I came back into the, to I had to leave my market because I was under a non-compete for twelve months.
1: What market was that? Just so we don't miss those details.
0: Yeah. So I was in Knoxville and would physically travel to Nashville and begin generating clients. So I would start cold calling, just cold call, cold call, cold call, set meetings up, get leads, job orders at that time, and then begin the process of filling them. And I would do it all myself. I would execute the cold calls, drive over do the meetings, get and find the people, put the people in the jobs, and then begin to stack that. One thing I did differently than a lot of people, have, I went for contract and temp staffing. I went for the temp model rather than, in the contract staffing model, rather than the direct hire model, because i annuitizing, creating whatever the model was. However, i annuitized the revenue stream. It was a smarter play for me. The problem was financing that. But here's where my accounting background came in. Once I got to a certain point, now, early on, I would tell you, I, I financed some of those payrolls on my credit cards. I had to pay these people on Friday and get paid four Fridays later or whatever that date was that that these companies would pay. Then it would take me, you know, I had to float that for 30 days. So early on, I did some of that on credit cards. I got a little bit of friends and family money that I wound up paying back with 30 day intervals. Never took any money from there. I mean, I did it all. I, I call it all on my own dime and my own time. And then paid that money back. And then once I, and so my first clients were really as a result of cold calls, the relationships that got very deep, very quick. And I was able to foster those and cultivate those through those first 12 months and sustain and build and live with them. But back to the thing, I got the clients, started funding the payrolls on the credit cards. Once I got that big enough, then I went to a bank and I got my first line of credit at about $25,000 from a small bank, FSG. That was from a relationship that I took out of that experience in the healthcare company. They knew me, they they knew I was an accountant. So I returned back to our, our business banker at that company and said, here's what I'm doing. Will you all fund this for me? And they said, yeah, we'll fund it for you. 25,000 max. They funded it off my receivables, which was big, man, because I didn't have to factor. Essentially, where I was taking 95 cents on the dollar on factoring, I could take you know 98 cents on a uh, line of credit. Do a more traditional bank, which was clearly much cheaper.
1: And what do you mean by factoring? I think a lot of startups in early...
0: Especially people that fund themselves wind up selling their receivables. And it's just the more aggressive form of financing, whatever it is, whether it be your inventory, whether it be your accounts receivable. But factor is a term used to say, hey, look, I'll sell you my invoice. Uh, you know, I got a $10,000 invoice. I'll sell you that invoice for 9500 or 9200 whatever the case may be. Whereas I wasn't able to get a more traditional loan and use a line of credit instrument to where the interest still cost me money. But my effective rate was I got 9,800 versus 9,500 or 9,200. And that margin was critical at that time. Right. That's what I mean by five.
1: When were you able to make your first hire? And can you tell us about that?
0: By 2005, late 2005, I've got a ton of business more than I can handle, but I'm literally, I mean, I'm doing it all. All right. So now, I'm getting jobs, I'm filling jobs, I'm, I'm interviewing people, I'm putting all these people in jobs. And I've got about, I think at the time, maybe 20, 25 people at work. I would go home, my accounting background, again, here at Key, I would go home at on Monday nights and run all the payrolls. So I would go home, pay the 25 people, bill it, and I was, I was man, I was like both arms swinging like wagon wheels, dude, just 100% of the time. But it was great, because I was, you know, I had very, very low overhead, right? So I mean, I'm making a lot of money this time. But eventually, I'm just like, man, I got to get some support. I'm in my early 30s at the time, maybe maybe late 20s. And I'm like, I got to get some support. I went to the market and hired someone to work as an assistant to find people for me so I could stay focused more on the client side. I, I knew ultimately that the lifeblood of the business was the top line. And I knew the whole time, whatever I do, I mean, create a phenomenal operations manual, do a lot of different things that I have to have a system of bringing clients and revenue into this organization. And I'm the one that has to own that. One of my first hires were on the other side and they supported that operation. So I was a one-man band and then I was the leader of the band. And I stayed right there.
1: With that first hire, from there, did you just keep multiplying the hires? I mean, how did it work from there? Sometimes we find out the first hire is not everything we thought it was or... We have to learn about actually training someone versus, I guess, before you were the one-man show, right? Can you tell us about that experience?
0: Awful. All of the above. I just thought things happened. No. When you hired somebody, they wanted to work as hard as you did, right? <laughs> yeah. And they were just ex- as excited as me to do it. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Now, fortunately, it wasn't bad. One of the values for me has been watching so many companies hire people and so many crazy hiring practices. But I remember I hired this lady, and there was no job description. There was really no system. There was, hey, I need help. And she came in and basically did whatever she wanted to do. I learned from that experience, but she was good in relationals. She was good in relationships and she'd been in this business for a little while. You know, She got me through about probably 24 months. And while she was working for me, I made two other hires about six months in succession and started to organize the company and the workflow in the organization. A little better and a little better but it was weekly organized you know I'm still focused on the sales I'm still selling and building and executing right I'm doing that and it's getting a little watered down because I really have no metrics no understanding of those metrics at that point I do understand the revenue in the top line and the revenue in the top line are growing you know it was successful probably not as successful as it could have been and ultimately longer term you know I had to organize it into a metric if you will in order to understand, you know, if they did this, more of this, then I get more of that, more revenue, rather than just getting more revenue. Because there is a point where you get eight to ten people working for you, and they're all kind of loosely organized and not as systematized and not driving that thing that drives revenue. It all gets watered down, and lo and behold, you wind up with a weak operating company, and it shows up in your financials. And I've been there multiple times. But the one thing I did right was I stayed focused on the buying relationships. I kept building and expanding the buying relationships and i built and expanded built and expanded those to where there was enough revenue to always cover those expenses and go back to my accounting background I essentially knew that I could not spend more than 50 cents on the dollar so I knew the economic model no matter whether I got a million dollars in revenue I can't spend more than five hundred thousand dollars on my employee number all in headcount And got to figure that part out. So I just managed it down to that level. Of I understood accounting. I understood that I got the top line right and buying relationships. I ran into a major, not understanding the metrics that drove this business and how to create operational efficiencies and better systems. Wound up catching up to me when I was at 20 employees more so than it did at that point. But yeah, so just one hire, next hire, next hire, next hire. And learn from those mistakes. And oh my God, dude, it was numerous, right? I mean, numerous. I learned it. You can't come in at nine thirty. You you're, you know your ass needs to be here at seven thirty. You know you can't leave when you want to. You know you got to be the leader of the ship. But they look to the leader, and you got to be there and be present, be hit. Yeah, you know, I learned those lessons the hard way, man.
1: I think that's important if you have any other suggestions. That can kind of make or break you sometimes where, hey, you were the guy. It's basically maybe a freelancer is listening to us and they're trying to make another hire or two hires or three hires. And then you're like, okay, you think everyone's going to work as hard, like you said earlier, that maybe we're naive enough as entrepreneurs to think that. But then you start realizing you might have to like systematize things. And then that doesn't sound like fun for a sales guy like you. Oh, it's awful. The worst is that I think I'm systematizing it and I'm not, right?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that. Looks like a system is not really a system, and it's not as organized. And that's what I said earlier in the conversation. You know, where are we at today? We're at assembling more talented teams, especially in the infrastructure of this business as we take this business into its next stages. It's critical that the systems be clear, they be aligned, that the people know that an individual knows their role, that it's aligned to their compensation, and they're executing the hell out of that role. Because to every degree that gets watered down, you lose effectiveness in your company. You can very easily show up and, you know, like I did a few years ago and, and I looked at my bottom line financial statement and it basically said zero. I'm like, how does that happen? Uh, well, that happens because you're poorly running a company, which you can do one year, right? But if you do that for multiple years, you're out of the game. So yeah, 100%, man. That's why I say it's, I've been the biggest weakness and it's just learning those lessons at every point. And I think, you know, holding people accountable now, you know, they want to be accountable. They need to do their job. And this organization, you know, is at a point now where it, it requires it. Otherwise, we won't win.
1: And you were talking about when you got to the 20 people. Do you want to fast forward to there as far as, I guess, transitioning from a couple to 20 and what issues you might have had scaling-wise? You know, numerous.
0: And it cost me a lot. Probably, I'd take those two credit cards back, actually. You can load them to me. So what got me to point A won't get me to point B. I'm still learning it. I'm learning it in hard lessons. I'm enjoying the art of it. I will tell you the optimism still exists. I know that the pot of gold around the next corner, if you will. And that doesn't necessarily mean financial reward. I just enjoy the art of running the business and watching it impact its customers. That can be the pot of gold. To me, it is. Your leverage points change. Your leverage points change. One, a leverage point, a a unique advantage, was that I was able, in the early days, to out-relationship our clients into, people love to see me They, I, I was very effective at, capturing customers, building relationships and and pulling them in, that can no longer happen when you're 350 people deep on your customer list. It just no longer can happen at a certain point. So then the customers to me look like my employees, right? Who are my key employees? And the brand of this business has to be better than what it once was. I can be weakly branded when I've got, I can own and dominate all the relationships. But when that strength starts to fade, then the brand and the company brand and its system of execution has to improve. I think the biggest thing, there was another, I was sitting with a guy. So I'm, uh, we do, we follow Jack Daly sales training. Jack's fantastic. Uh, I'm a member of entrepreneurs organization, have been for 10 years and EO has been, you know, brilliant and just a great network for me. And they, of course, introduced me to Jack. Jack Daly's, you know, real popular on the street, if you will, from a sales training perspective. Anyway, I'm in Vegas. We're hanging out with Jack. We're eating lunch. He and my coach, Dan Caulfield are there and this other guy that had just grown and sold a hundred million dollar business. I'm telling him about my big plans to grow and do all this stuff just like he did. And he goes, I will warn you, you can hire people and you can do a lot of shit. But if you don't push the right metric in your business, and it's in Jim Collins' book too, right? If you don't really understand operationally what you're trying to get to, you will not drive revenue. You can add a bunch of expense that doesn't do the right thing and that will not drive your revenue. Now, that sounds simple, but it's not. Candidly, it's not. And we've spent the last probably 18 months, unfortunately, understanding the formula behind that metric. Now we've been growing, kudos to the market, kudos to what's been happening, but I wanna to continue to sustain really strong growth rates, right? I still wanna maintain that 25, to 35% growth rate in my space. In order to do that, I've had to make better math. I've had to improve the systems of math in our organization at all levels, whether it's lead generation, which feeds a metric, whether it's sales that kind of come downstream off that lead generation that feed a metric. And then what's it cost me to get to that metric? And there's really two numbers. I mean, lifetime value of a client and the cost to acquisition of that client. And what are those two numbers and where are they at and how do we acquire that client for cheaper and how do we maximize the lifetime value in economic terms more effectively? So you know, there's been lots of learning points, man, a lot of learning points. All painful, I mean, as I told you, you can turn around and have a company that, that does a lot of revenue and, and no no EBITDA, no bottom line, but understanding what that really that key thing that everybody needs to be focused on doing to produce and that thing produces for us it's a thousand dollars in revenue and it costs us eight hundred dollars to produce it. so and how many can we do at a certain point? I need eight hundred of those to break even. and so it's boiling the business down into better mathematical equations, and that's the reason I don't, don't explain it simply is because I've not figured it out simply yet. And that's why I'll tell you I'm on a quest for simplicity. I hope that makes a little bit of sense.
1: Well, you're talking about the metric, was there an easy way for y'all to figure it out? Or, I mean, I'm just thinking if someone is listening, if there's an easy way for them to try to figure out a metric to make sure they're pushing the right ones.
0: Yeah, I think it's what's most closely tied to revenue. So when your organization gets bigger, okay, well, we'll just see how many times we sell. So, you know, our average sale, for example, is gonna be $10,000. And so how much, what does it take to get that sale? Okay, well, great. But if our people aren't focused more upstream, so a job, for example, we'll get a job. We close one out of four of those jobs, but there's a little more science behind it. There's some factors. Some jobs we found out were closing one out of eight and some other jobs were closing one out of two. Well, we didn't know the factors. In essence, what turns into your business, I'm getting 10 leads while well, I'm closing. Uh, there are certain characteristics on those types of leads that I'm closing and what are they? And then there's certain characteristics on what types I'm not. And, and for us, hell, it's probably easier to start at the bottom and say, well, these are definitely the things we're not doing well. And let's stop doing those things. Because I was investing a lot of money, organizational money in those things we weren't doing well and not getting anything from. And so we didn't understand that in a metrical sense, if, if that language works.
1: Yeah, because, well, I was going to say, you mentioned one of your resources, which, which we're going to put in the show notes. Was that Tableau that has helped you with that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Can you explain, like, before and after what that is and how it's helped?
0: So Tableau is a tool, interesting tool. It's essentially an analytics tool. We used it for, I believe, you got to know your data. The one thing where we've really missed out on, I think, over the last few years, is having a better, three years ago, better understanding our data, and thus better understanding that metric. And so what Tableau did was compile that data for us. We were able to hook it to our systems, connect API, and basically pre-build reports to look at the trends in the business and then break down and analyze exactly what was happening. Well, okay, that sounds simple. The next problem is well, we don't have all the data points, meaning we didn't know the char- there were probably 15 characteristics that were feeding the metric. And then the weighted, then there were certain weights into those 15 characteristics. Well, truth is they're not really 15. We're narrowing that down to say, hey, look, there's really four. And those four are go into a certain mathematical formula for us, into this job, let's say. So we were looking at this, and Tableau basically allowed us to compile that data analyze it and became the mathematical tool that was pushing it out. The cool thing about Tableau is that it's very progressive from an analytics perspective and trending analysis. Once you've got your data in, then it's able to push out some really good information. We've gone back, replicated all of our sales, began to understand where we're most successful and where we're not. You know, and again, in our world, you know, we got 25% hit ratio, right? The first obvious thing was, is let's start at the bottom. Let's stop doing the shit that is not working. And we'll just knock that low hanging fruit out right away. And Tableau was really effective in terms of helping us push the data into Tableau and going, Hey, look, when this happens, you've got a 15% chance rather than a 25% chance. But when these things are happening, Hey, you've got a 35% chance. And when these 35% chances are happening, what's happening there. So that's the way Tableau has been very, very effective for us. And here's the other cool thing, man. We hooked it live. So it's giving us live points. We're measuring productivity in mathematical terms live on our people. And we're in a very competitive industry. We've got to know when we're succeeding and failing by the day, because I'm also a believer in Rockefeller habits. There was a study done uh, on Rockefeller, you know, obviously the three industrialists, and what the principles were behind the business, what these businesses were doing that were allowing and facilitating great growth rock habits was they knew the metric and they were basically meet every day on that metric you know whatever they're driving and so the a rhythm of a daily huddle was a communication system and so you and i Austin would get together in the morning and would say hey look here's what i'm going to do to obtain this job or obtain this metric and at the end of the day we get back together and go it? every day so i mean i'm, I'm famous for saying it like this there's 460 periods Okay. There's 235 work days and 460 periods. You got about four and a half, five hours a period, which is a half day. You better make use of your time and we're going to measure it all the time. And now if we're measuring and pushing the right things, then we're going to get the growth that we're looking for. And that speaks to absolutely how you systematize, how you communicate that inside the organization, how you direct. And the better you are at directing people toward that thing that you need, then it all kind of works in concert together to create the revenue and the sales. And ultimately, the more in concert they work, the less it costs. Because if we're working on pushing the wrong things that are, you know one out of seven or one out of eight on sales, well, the problem is it costs me more to acquire it than it does, than we'll make off of it. Well, I'd been
1: kind of listening for a while. I did listen to your first Patreon call, and um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And uh, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was gonna be on there. Clicked on your new episode the other day, and I'm like, you know what, I'm here, I gotta do this. If you're just looking back, is there one or two times where you thought, hey, I wasn't gonna make it, I might have to close up shop, and can you tell us what you learned from that? A hundred times, man,
0: a hundred times. I am probably a sales guy by nature. Persist until you succeed. It's about perseverance. For me, for me, it has been about perseverance. At multiple points, there's been times when I didn't think I was going to succeed, and there'll be. I'm sure there'll be points again. That negative talk has to go. I don't measure it all in finance has to be right. The cash has to be right, okay? But it's not always measured in cash. There are things that it takes beyond cash. But yeah, man. I mean, I think you got to. You have to eliminate the negative self talk. You got to believe this is what I am. This is what I do. I love it. I love the art of it. Today I even sometimes enjoy losing as much as I enjoy winning because I know that the lessons in losing have been much more valuable than the wins. There's still a thrill to me to the whole thing, but I learned early on it was persist until you succeed. That negative self-talk has to go. You have to set a vision for yourself, for an organization, for the people around you, and you got to get everyone aligned to that vision. You got to go. You got to go. Wheels up, man. You know, no looking back. My brother would always say, "He go, you got to burn the wagon." Meaning there's only one way out, and that's forward.
1: Well, no, well, we appreciate that. What's the best way to reach you? If someone wants to say it, thank you for doing it, the interview, absolutely. So,
0: I'm in Nashville. So, anybody, I love to meet with other entrepreneurs. I've, I've learned a lot and been educated and love to collaborate. Our company is at staffsource.com. My email is jsharp with an E at staffsource.com. And you can look us up at staffsource.com and our phone number and just call me up. And, I mean, I invite and we'll meet with just about anybody, especially in cities that I like to go to. If we're not in Nashville. Obviously, Nashville is easy, but in other cities, it's not too. Yeah, look me up. I
1: love it all. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Thanks. Bye. You know what I am in the mood for right now? That's right, more service-based interviews. If you are in the mood too, then check out these episodes where we talk about how to service your customer. Episode one ninety-seven with two maids and a mop, not to be confused with two girls in a cup. Episode eighty-nine with the author Incubator, that's a fan favorite, or episode 140 with Barbecue house, And if we've already filled your passion bucket with plenty of episodes, well, why don't you join us on a group call and meet some of our guests? All you have to do is become a Patreon member. I lead the calls and you get to ask the questions. So join us. Go to millionaire-interviews.com and sign up right now. And if you have any questions about the membership feel free to message me on Pornhub. My username is bizboy69. That's bizboi 69 And as long as you're a Patreon member, I promise to respond to all your messages instantly. So become a member today.